0: Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information.
1: If you have just joined us, we are in the third week and final week of what has been a three-part series entitled Experiencing God, and it's been focused a little bit towards our prayer time as well. Um, let me give you an update. The first one was entitled The Prince and the Pauper, and we did a contrast between uh, uh, the Prince, which is a guy named Machiavelli who wrote in the 1500s a pretty pragmatic, amoralistic way of leadership, and we were contrasting that with the pauper, which is Christ, who comes in the Sermon on the Mount and begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the humble. And so the contrast between Christ's leadership style, which doesn't take the best and the brightest to do the greatest, he takes what is common, and he comes with the simplicity of spirit. Contrast that to a leadership that is constantly self aggrandizing, drawing attention to itself, is um, pretty hardcore and cold. Uh, those type of things we're rejecting. We used now an example of the first king of Israel named Saul, who was more of that princely style. People wanted a king similar to the current people, he was like that. Um, he plays to the people. He lives on polls, and that's based on some insecurities that we won't get into here right now, but everything he did was based on what people approved or disapproved of, and in the end, he's consulting witches. The second king of Israel is David. David is known um, for many things, but his primary thing is that he's not only a worshiper of God, but he is um, someone who inquires of the Lord before everything. So rather than getting caught up with what everyone else is saying in the current trends, he's constantly saying, God, what do you want done? And so this was part of our first call to tune ourselves to hear God's voice. And one of the things that I wrote down in prayer of that gathering point was this. David was a musician before he was king. He was a worshiper before he was a leader. He sought God, inquired of him, and understood the significance as a musician of tuning his heart to God. And so the very first week we had a a Toto song, uh, Africa, that was completely offbeat and out of tune. And just the contrast of that. Um, And so our need to tune to God. The next week, we had a singer who's a horrible singer in the studio, but this sound guy is desperately making her sound beautiful, okay? And we liken that to this generation. This generation is not an age group. You can be 15, you can be 75. But this generation, biblically speaking, is a generation that has a certain worldview or mindset. And part of that is that they think they sing beautifully when in fact the voice is pretty raw and rugged. We've tracked various things out of this. One is that uh, the scripture speaks of an arrogance, of a ruthlessness, and of um, words that are thoughtless or destructive. And so as we've been approaching prayer and how to engage this generation and also counter those things in ourselves, we said we want to seek humility in contrast to arrogance. We want to seek mercy and compassion instead of ruthlessness. and We want our words to be thoughtful and kind instead of thoughtless and destructive. And so that's kind of bringing us up to speed at this point in time. We're going to take one of those things a little bit deeper here today that we discussed last week. And I have one final video to show you uh, that's along of our musical theme. Um, We're going to receive offering as this is being done. And if you're here for the first time, A, you're up to speed. Uh, B, we don't expect you to participate in the offering. The offering has various significance, um, but it's mainly rooted in a relationship with Christ. And if you don't have that, and you're exploring things, then there's really no sense in you giving anything. Or if you're just visiting and you don't know whether we're responsible enough to handle the monies uh, on God's behalf. Totally legit. But for those of us that know the history here, for those of us who have that relationship with Christ, for us it's not a manipulative thing. It's an action of, of not only worship, but of thanksgiving and of identification with Christ and his work. And so before we go anywhere else, let's just take a moment here and pause. Father, we come before you and we're grateful. Lord, we we are thankful. Uh, There's not a thing we had that didn't come from you. So Lord, we take this opportunity to not just worship with our lips, but to put literally our money where our mouth is, to contribute to your work, um, to identify with you, to express thanks, to see others reached by your love and by your grace. We ask, Lord, that this money would be used with wisdom and integrity for your purposes. We ask, Lord, that you speak to us today out of your word in this gathering. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before the ushers come, hold one second, guys. I'm just going to brief you so you know what you're about to see, all right? What you're going to view is, um, how many of you ever heard of Adele? Okay, if you haven't, you've been living in a cave. Okay, you need to get out. Um, but Adele has a song, it's very well-known, and you're gonna have a portion of this song played. At the top of the screen, you're gonna see the actual words to the song if you don't know the song or if you don't, haven't heard it before. At the bottom of the screen are going to be words of, a song, of the song that has been run through Google Translate several times. And once you see the variation, if you can track it enough, and then we'll discuss in our conversation of whispers today. Gentlemen, if you'll come forward and let's roll.
0: Hail to me. I question myself after all these years later, the view to appear to move to the top of all. They say the weather is supposed to cure you, but I do not like a lot of wounds. Hey, do you copy? I used to be. We have in a dream of the California when we were junior and complimentary. I have forgotten what the world is before you start chairs, ottoman, and your teolio. There is a conflict between the United States and hundreds of thousands of kilometers. I'm I'm making perfect sense. What are you talking about? Welcome to the
1: Made sense to you. Um, That is someone who has sung beautifully, um, who has the beat and the tone down, but the words are a total hash. Words matter. I want you to understand that first and foremost today. Words matter. In a recent book, Levi Lusco writes that it takes the cooperation of 72 different muscles to produce speech. 72 different muscles just went into action even as I'm talking. I just got a total workout.
0: <laughs>
1: on average, 16,000 words come out of your mouth every day. In some of our cases, it's closer to 20,000, I suspect. But 16,000 on average every day that adds up to, according to their count, an estimate of 80, 860.3 million words in the average American lifetime, 860 million. What do all these words say? What do they communicate? What is it that um, it reflects of who we are? How do we even know the truth of some of the things that we speak about? I don't know if you've heard this quote from Winston Churchill. Tell me if you have. A lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. How many of you know that that's from Winston Churchill or knew that? Okay. I've quoted that several times over the years in different illustrations and moments. Recently, I've come to the awareness that it has never been said by Winston Churchill. But the vast majority of people think that it is. It is one of the most misappropriated quotations that you're going to find out there. One archivist of Winston Churchill said this, quote, the irony is that today such misattributed quotes circle the globe a thousand times before the truth even begins to think about putting on pants. Now, I should have even picked up on this because the fact that he says gets its pants on. If you know anything about England and English, pants for them is underwear. Churchill would have said trousers. He would never have said pants. But this is circled over and over again. Some people have sorted it back and tried to trace it back, and if you do a search on this, one of those goes to Franklin Roosevelt's Secretary of State, not too far in the past, Cordell Hall, who said, quote, a lie will gallop halfway around the world before the truth has time to put its britches on. Or you can go back even further. In 1919, allegedly, Mark Twain made the statement, a lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is lacing up its boots. Mark Twain said in 1919, which is amazing because he died in
0: 1910.
1: (laughs) One of the earlier ones we see is from Jonathan Swift who made the statement in 1710 that falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it. Why are we drawn to the negative? What is it that attracts us to taking things that aren't true? It's rarely good things that aren't true that we progress with. It's usually the other side. And I was caught by an article that I read last year I don't know the people involved, some of you might. There's a woman named Lisa Turkhurst. She's head of, I guess, 31 Proverbs 31 Ministries. Any of you ladies heard of her before? A few of you have. There's another writer, Jenny Rapson, who's also a blogger. Evidently, Lisa Turkhurst, well, let me read to you Jenny Rapson's post. She says, about a year ago, Proverbs 31 Ministries head, Lisa Turkhurst, announced that due to her husband, Art's infidelity and lack of repentance, she had no other option but to seek a divorce. Her shocking announcement went viral. It was mostly met with love, prayers, and support from her followers. And then this writer, Jenny, says, I wrote an article about Lisa's announcement that we could all learn from her marital troubles, and that, too, quickly went viral. All the Christian blogosphere was, as she says, a-talking about it. If this tragedy could happen to Lisa Turkhurst, surely could happen to any one of us. She continues in this blog to say this, so I imagine my surprise when I learned two days ago that Lisa Turkhurst and Art Turkhurst were back together and were moving forward with their marriage in reconciliation. There'd been a remarkable transformation in his heart and mind. Lisa had made an announcement on her Facebook page on Father's Day three whole weeks ago, three whole weeks ago, three whole weeks ago, and I had missed it. How could I have missed that, I asked myself. And she gives several possible things, but she comes down to this conclusion. It didn't go viral, and the Christian blogosphere wasn't a-talking about it because dot, 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 it wasn't bad news. So this woman's misfortunes goes viral. Comments in regards to it went viral. There's a miraculous reconciliation that brings healing and restoration to a family and it's weeks before anyone knows it and the vast majority of those who first read the viral element still have no clue. She says a huge number of shares on the bad news and hardly any shares on the good news, and it makes me sad. And then she makes this statement, the fact that the news of the Turkish reconciliation did not spread like wildfire says to me that as a Christian community, we're not as good at the rejoicing part as we are at the grieving part, that we're not so good at moving forward those things that are of good report as we are in dwelling on those things that are of bad report. It makes us feel just a little bit better about ourselves. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. Author of Words That Hurt and Words That Heal has lectured throughout this country on the powerful of a negative impact of words. He often asks audiences if they can go 24 hours without saying any unkind words about or to another person, about or to another person. In variable, a small number of listeners raise their hand signifying yes. Others, he say, laugh, and quite a few call out, no, flat out. Telushkin responds this, he says, Those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you cannot go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. So if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you've lost control over your tongue. So before we even dive into scripture, I would lay something out on you today, and I would ask you to take a challenge of just this week, of just this week, that for just one week you would make the determination to not say something unkind about another person. I would even go further than him to not receive it from someone else. I remember someone years ago that said, I don't like to gossip. People just keep bringing this stuff to me all the time. And I said, that's because you're a dump site. If you put up a no dumping sign, they'll stop dumping it on you. But until you put up that sign, no dumping, they're going to continue to put their trash for you to disseminate to others or bury within your own heart. So let us go with this challenge for this one week only. Could you? Would you? And let's go back to could you? Could we? For one week not say something unkind about another person and not receive that unkind thing and if we can't, if we break that before the day is out what does that say about our addictive personalities that we're alcoholic and nicotine driven linguistically speaking the scripture talks a lot about this stuff in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 24 it says keep your mouth free of perversity, keep corrupt talk far from your lips Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do your words, does your tongue bring healing to someone, or does it cut them to shreds? The word sarcasm literally means to rend the flesh, to shred somebody. Do you bring healing with your words? Or do you bring ripping and tearing? 13, 3 of Proverbs, those who guard their lips, preserve their lives. Those who speak rashly are going to come to ruin. Proverbs eighteen twenty-one. the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit, but it has the power of life and death. Jesus goes on Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, and says, I tell you that everyone is going to have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. Every empty word we've spoken, we're going to give an account to He goes on in chapter 15, verse 11 to say what goes in someone's mouth doesn't defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that, that is what defiles them. What do we say? What are we engaged in? The survivors of Columbine and Sandy Hook have been savaged online. Lies have been told, that they're telling lies, that no children actually died at Sandy Hook. And so these parents relive this as online. People accuse them of lying and of setting this up. Conspiracy theories are off the charts. Do you know that the flat earth, I don't want to call it theory, conjecture is actually on a significant increase right now. There is more chatter online about the flat earth and the deception that we've all bought into that the earth is round. I don't mean to offend any of you today that are flat earth theorists, but you're out of touch with reality. I'm being gentle. <laughs> I'm an avid aerospace buff. And a couple of years ago, at this very moment, I had had used an illustration about the the race to the moon in one of the messages and the teamwork it took and everything else like that, and I had someone come up to me afterwards and, and say to me, flat out, just said, you realize right here I was standing. And they came up to me and said, you know, of course, that that entire thing was a hoax put on by the government. It's a complete hoax. We never went to the moon. Now, let me be clear for those of you that don't know me. I really try to be nice. I try to be polite. I try not to be offensive. I think that putting the word offensive and pastor don't shouldn't go together, Okay. And so a lot of times I'll say, really, if that's, if, if that's what you think. One well, of my favorite words is, that's interesting. That's a great word. Great word. It can mean so many things. Like, you're really interesting.
0: <laughs>
1: or that's interesting. Or interesting. But I'll be honest, I was caught off guard and the rawness of it. And the, I just said, you're dead wrong. <laughs> I said, that's completely ridiculous and a total lie. We didn't talk much after that. And I haven't seen them since. But these are the kind of things that are running around increasingly. And why? We're fascinated with the negative. We're addicted to these things. We'd rather tear somebody down than lift them up and affirm them. What is that about us? Years ago... My wife and I are fairly private people. And some of the reasons for that is we both grew up in minister's home. And in minister's homes, you don't have a lot of privacy. And so we tend to be a little bit more that way, private. Another thing we had is we lived in, uh, um, in uh, what are called parsonages in, in those days. And, and parsonages in, in the King James uh, are linked to the word, um, like, they suck. Um, it's, it's a Hebrew phrase, and uh, it's just not good. It's horrible. And so we never had a house. So around 22 years ago now it's been, um, my wife who works for GM now back then for EDS, we had, she had a portion in stock, stock did really well, and we said, you know, we're going we're gonna to build a house that we can have a home for ourselves, for the first time a home. We can raise our kids and where we can have people over and we can fellowship and we want it to be large enough for that because the home we'd been at that time when everyone gathered afterwards, it smelled like a locker room because it was a little tight. I went to the board, I revealed all my finances, I said whatever you guys want to see of what we're doing and how we're doing this, so there's no question, so we're totally above board. And I remember when we, when we established it and over the years just how it's been used. A couple of years ago, some new neighbors moved into us next door and somebody was coming over to some event or some gathering of youth or something else and and they didn't know which house and so they went to the neighbor's house instead and they said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find our pastor's house. And the new neighbors who didn't know us or anything else at that point said, well, we don't know where that's at. It's not next door because there's like people over there all the time. They're always having parties, you know, like we're. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, we're not sure where it's on the block, but it's not there. (laughs) So. When we did that, I had a friend who was in leadership here who just celebrated the moment with us, just affirmed it, was just happy that we were able to do that. That affirmation, that celebration of that moment um, was important to me at that time. Do you celebrate the wins in the people's lives, even if it's not your win? Or do you find cause for judgment or for uh um, tearing down in the process. I had a different friend who attended this church years ago when I was a young person (laughs) and uh, he was a good friend brilliant guy we played chess all the time he'd beat me almost all the time and uh witty intelligent funny Worked for the FBI. I mean, that's cool, you know? You're with a friend who works for the FBI. I think he worked like on the engines and the motors of the cars. He was a mechanic, okay? But it was the FBI. <laughs> but he also had a sarcastic wit and an edge that I found after a while was not only tearing me down, but I was finding myself reflecting that in my engagement with others. And I found myself having to separate from that relationship because of the influence it was having on me and my speech how it's talking and how it's acting. What influences you? What is shaping you? How do you use the words that you've been given? Do you chase after wild conspiracy things and foment those? Do you tear down and pass on the negative with glee because it's a moment of, I know something special or or it makes me feel somewhat marginally better than the other person who's just suffered defeat? Or do you find yourself affirming? Do you find yourself lifting up? Do you find your words causing life or death? Do they shred people or are they tongue of the wise that bring healing? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. In other words, I might be tough on you. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Ambition isn't wrong. It's selfish ambition, wanting things that only matter for you and do damage to others or the organization you're part of. Slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. He says, I'm concerned that's what I'm going to find. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we're told, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. For those of you that are visitors to our fellowship, there's nothing significant going on right now that I'm trying to address. There's no clicks or clacks or problems in that way. We've had those issues at times, different points in our history, very minor, very limited so much so that we don't recall or pay attention sometimes to some of these phrases that I was taught often when I was younger like Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 that says there's six things the Lord hates seven that are detestable and seven that are really right off the chart haughty eyes arrogance in other words a lying tongue hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked schemes feet that are quick to rush into evil a false witness who pours out lies and then all those if those aren't bad enough and he says he he hates those things and one of those is murder the one that's beyond murder is a person who stirs up conflict in the community Titus 3.10 if you are causing divisions among you give a first and second warning after that have nothing to do with them James 1.26 says, Anyone who says he's a Christian but doesn't control his sharp tongue is just fooling himself and his religion isn't worth anything. And later in James, he breaks it down to saying the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It guides everything. Or it's like a, a small spark that can start a fire that can burn down and destroy everything. Our words matter. The words and statements we pass on to others Matter. One person said that we should think before we speak, and in thinking he puts an acronym of T-H-I-N-K. First, is it true, T? Next, H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And he says, if it passes those tests, I'm going to speak it forth. If it doesn't, I keep my mouth shut. Is it true? Do you think before you pass on something, or is there just something of the darkness within us that just rises up at the negativity? There's something that just juices us a bit that we feel maybe on the inside for the moment to share something. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be ye kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Gossip in some cases may actually be immoral. It can be a means of locking another person into the past, tying a person to a past sin in a way that is anything but graceful. Forgiveness means in part that the forgiven sin is no longer the subject of continued conversation. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I grew up in Flint. Before you ever heard of it for its water stuff, we were the number one murder capital of the country. My school was not a pretty place to go to, that shaped a lot of my DNA. I can be sharp, I can be cutting, I can be aggressive, I can be raw. I can be, I choose not to be because I read these things in scripture and they tell me that's not how I'm supposed to be, not as a leader and not as a man. And so while I totally understand these things that titillate and draw and project us into these patterns, I choose purposely to not strike back in the same way that I am struck. To be defrauded rather than to defraud someone else. To lead a fellowship that has chosen to be the same way. So we have never engaged in a lawsuit against us or in at least four circumstances that were totally legit that we should have engaged in to recover losses. Maybe there'll be a day when we need to. But to coin a phrase from the movie, today is not that day. And I don't foresee that. Our words matter. What we say, and and it's not enough just to get the beat right and the tune right, or to really be an actually great singer and spiritual. If we don't get the words right, then the whole meaning is lost. Why is it that there's no difference between how the church handles its words and how the world handles the words? This was not up here when I started here. This was up here. This is much nicer. It's really pretty. And it's nice. And I saw it up here and it was left over from something from yesterday. And I saw it and midway between the message, I moved it away and I walked off platform and I got this that is usually up here because it makes a nice stand for my water, okay? And I like this one because this one's nicked and banged and it's really kind of a bit of a wreck. I just think it's more us, okay? Why was that other one up there? That one was up there because words matter so intensely. He was up here because there was a wedding here yesterday. And in that wedding, the couple stood right about here. And while at one point in time, they expressed their love to one another in a nonverbal fashion, Okay. Explain it to the kids later, alright? What made them one in God's eyes, what joined them in union together, was not that kiss. What joined them in union together and made them one in the eyes of God were words that were spoken, vows that were taken. And with God's grace, they will keep those vows. And if there's any point in time where they violate those, then with God's grace again, and a community that would come alongside, in the same way as it did with the turquoise, there would be a restoration, genuine and true. The words that were spoken on this platform yesterday matter. And it shaped a new creation. just happens they're actually here this morning. I didn't expect that. I thought they'd be off on their honeymoon, so. They're pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> we'll wrap this up pretty quickly, guys. Um, as a community, If we're going to experience God, we not only need to inquire of him. As we're going to experience God, we not only need to seek humility and and compassion instead of ruthlessness and and words that are kind and thoughtful and upbuilding. We need to seek God himself in the middle of things. There's a passage of scripture that has been so powerful to me over the years. I've spoken it before. Forgive me for boring you one more time with this passage of scripture but it bears repeating again. There's this guy named Elijah in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and he's a prophet of God and he's imbued by the power of God, but the country doesn't want to hear what he has to say. The queen particularly doesn't like him. Her name's Jezebel, the original Jezebel. It comes down to a really climactic moment of of incredible proportions as they're on top of Mount Carmel. And there's 450 prophets of Baal, you know, this really twisted, sick belief system that was degrading and, and, and inhumane. And just Elijah standing in. And there's, there's an altar made before both. And these guys go first and they, they have a dance-off in essence. And they're dancing and screaming and cutting themselves, trying to get their God to come down and, and light this place up with fire and nothing happens because he doesn't exist. Because there's only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Only one. And I love it because Elijah doesn't come with screaming and yelling and big histrionics and performance and none of the stuff that would draw us today. His words are simple. They're short. In essence, God, let everyone know that you're God. Show up today. Bam! Lightning comes down, fire from heaven. Not only is the entire um, uh, sacrifice consumed, all the stones are consumed, all the water surrounding is consumed. God is God; everyone knows it, and and he's victorious, and everyone's celebrating, except for Jezebel. Jezebel only knows that her people have been killed off over this issue, and so she says, "Before the day's done, I'm going to kill you." He goes from that moment of exaltation, the one man in all of history to literally call down fire from heaven. We use it as a metaphor today. He did it. But now there's a woman out for him. And so he, he's depressed. Nothing has changed. And he goes into the desert and he's depressed and he's down. He ends up in this cave eventually. And God calls him out and says, look, come to the mouth of the cave. And so he comes out there. And the next thing you know is there's this, this uh, wind that is blowing and bashing everything over the place. But it says God's not in the wind. There's an earth shaking that's just shattering the rocks and shaking everything. But God's not in the earthquake. There's a fire that burns and God's not in the fire. There's just this gentle, quiet <gasps> whisper. And in the whisper is the voice of God. And the prophet comes to the edge of the cave. God says, what are you doing here? He goes into a sob story. I'm the only one. Everyone wants to kill me. I just know I'm you. God says, look it. And I paraphrase here. You idiot. (laughs) It's a little different in the Hebrew, but. There are 7,000 people that have not yet bent their knee to Baal or kissed his face, worshipped him. Not just 7,000 other people. There's 7,000 other prophets. In other words, there's seven other ninja spirituals that are still out there. And it's after this that not only he connects with them, but he also finds a, a, a partner in ministry, Elisha, that comes alongside him. What happened? I think that in all the flash of the fire and all the great things, all the the, the great and wonderful, he'd lost the voice of God. He'd lost that tuning. So here's what I throw out to you today here. One, what whispers are you listening to and passing on that just have no benefit at all or damage is being done with those? How are you using those 16,000 words a day that you're uttering? And are they edifying, or do they tear and devise and hurt? And then the next thing is this. Have you stopped long enough? Have you forgotten and gotten away from all the flash and all the dance? Do you get quiet in that cave? Do you listen? Have you tuned your ear to hear the whisper of God? What whispers are you hearing? Whenever it's bad stuff, we don't say, hey, I want to tell you some bad stuff. So it's always, hey, I want to tell you, do you hear about so-and-so and what happened? we draw in can we ignore that even for a week and can we instead lean in and and, and tune out the rest of what's going around us to hear the voice of God to experience God in his word and then reflect that experience of seeing God in that way in our words and in what we say and what we do Lastly, we're told whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, dwell on these things, think on these things, consider these things. In this week, use your 16,000 words well. Use them well. Because words matter. Father, I thank you for your grace. Lord, there's not one of us that stand here today that that don't stand in your presence simply because of your grace. It's not certainly by our merits. So Lord, as we seek in this season of time to counter arrogance with humility, to counter ruthlessness and cruelty with kindness and compassion and mercy, counter um, words that are destructive and ugly with words that are kind and encouraging. As we strive, Lord, to experience you and to know you, we pray that you'd guide us in these things. We lift up our young people to you. Men and women of talent and ability who are exploring their way in the world, We ask that this would be a profound experience for them, that you'd shape them spiritually, that you'd provide for them physically, emotionally, and mentally, and that, Lord, there'd be an impact in the city that we love by your grace. And this next week, shape our words, Lord. Make us conscious. And if we find that we're addictive, don't let us just lean into that addiction, but let us make efforts to overcome that and speak the words of grace and truth that you'd have us speak in the situations surrounding us. And that we'd be encouragers and uplifters of others, not tearing down. We commit this team and this church, your church, fully into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agreed, say amen. 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 God bless you.